We have three passages this morning. First of all, Mark chapter 9, verses 35 through 37. Speaking of Jesus, Mark says, And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Now Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4. Defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. And finally, 1 Peter 4.17 for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not? What shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? This is the word of the Lord. That was not what I exactly planned there. All right, there we go. That's good. That's not as bad as what happened early on in my ministry at Dayspring when I tossed my shoe into the congregation. <laughs> that was much worse. Uh, today, we uh, mark an important milestone here at Evergreen as we have the blessing of receiving Anthony Beery and Lester Peters as they return to service as elders. They received their call earlier, and so we're just celebrating God's continued work of holding them close to himself and continuing the good work that he started in them at their profession of faith. This sermon will serve as a charge to them satisfying the requirements of our book of church order and common sense that they ought to know what they're getting into. And uh, But it's also to everyone here that's in any form of leadership. And that means big brothers. It means big sisters. It means moms and dads. And wherever you are in your vocation, you've got opportunities for leadership, opportunities for leadership that God holds you accountable to how you use that authority. And if your idea is, is that I get authority so that I can rule others, and so that's what authority's all about, well then we want to change that, because that's not what it's all about. There are several aspects to leadership that involve governing and teaching that are much more service-oriented, and that's what we exalt not only at Evergreen, but in the PCA and hopefully in all Bible-preaching, Christ-exalting churches. You can't be a Christ-exalting church and at the same time exalt one man or one woman, for that matter, above everybody else. Amen? So we have to be mindful of that and not only talk about accountability, but make it work for the glory of Christ. Because the end of a church without accountability is most definitely comes when Christ isn't 
exalted, but we are. So this office that uh, Anthony and Lester are called to, in our denomination, we call it the office of ruling elder. That means it's an office with authority that distinguishes it from the office of deacon, which has very similar, similar qualifications as far as character, as far as doctrinal beliefs, has all the same qualifications, but the elders have an additional responsibility to rule, and that means teaching and leading. That means teaching and, and when you teach, you're de facto leading. You're saying, this is what the Bible says, and that puts you and everyone that hears that in the position of, oh yeah, I've got to obey that thing that came out of his mouth. And that's what makes an elder. So, but they only have authority as they vote and act with the session. It's not as if the ruling elder can drive up to your house and say, hey, send me out some of your kids. I got some, my lawn needs cutting. And I, and I'm going to sit up on the porch with a nice cool glass of lemonade and watch them cut it. That's not the way ruling elder works. Um, it's, it doesn't work like that. We have authority, elders do, as we meet together as a session, as we vote. Uh, that's how we do it, uh, and that's the only place where we have anything like authority. However, elders have influence. Elders most definitely have influence in the congregation that is of a, a greater degree than other folks. Their counsel to me will play an important part in the teaching you receive. I just don't hear from the Lord during the week in some mystical way. And based on that, tell the session what I'm going to be preaching on. No, we talk about it. We talk about what you guys need. We talk about my own strengths and weaknesses. We talk about what we've covered already in the Word recently. We discuss these things and make decisions uh, that God has been uh, very gracious to give us the ability to, to do that within our Presbyterian system. And I'm just, I'm just real happy to do that. So their counsel to me is going to be important in how you're taught. Their presence and their words in branch groups and in other committees and commissions that they're a part of will be a very important part of guiding and directing how the church moves forward. But they do have two kinds of responsibilities and duties that are carried out. One way is as a session. The other is singular as individuals. And those two ways they rule are teaching and governing. Teaching and governing are the two main ways. And we're going to end up focusing mostly on governing this morning, but it's teaching and governing. First Timothy 3.2 says that the overseer must be able to teach. And that's something the elders do formally from up front or in small groups. It's something we do as we guard the church from false doctrine. It's something we do as we defend the church from the attack of godless ideas that may come anywhere from the Internet to uh, just folks that come and join our congregation. Back in uh, Spring Hill, we had uh, a white supremacist come and join our congregation. And he began to take people aside and hire them to clean his house. But really what they would do is he would sit them down and teach them about Kenism and white supremacy and other other matters like that. And they reported to the elders what was going on. We had a chat with him and poof, he disappeared. Um, that's 
And we didn't kill him, by the way. The whole rod thing is an illustration, you know. But we did vote on it. Uh, but uh, so we have to be overseeing because there are wolves and there are people who want to do damage to the church. Another time at Dayspring, we had just had a church split. This is very sad, and I won't get into that story. But the, it had, what it, the, one of the consequences of that was it had destroyed the choir who was about to put on a, a cantata. Okay, and I was sad about that because this choir had worked really hard and about three quarters of the choir suddenly disappeared from the church. And so we began to pray and say, God, is there any way you can pull this together so that these people who are left, they are able to have this? The next Sunday, walked in the back, eight people, all of them sung like birds. It was amazing. All of them read music. All of them played instruments. We had the best sounding cantata you've ever heard from. It was one of the best sounding cantatas of any church I've ever been in. The problem was the dad in that group believed he was an avatar of Jesus and that he was actually Christ in the flesh. They were a cult. okay? and they just connected. They didn't join our church. They didn't make it through membership class. okay? But they came alongside our church. They were just as nice as anything. But sure enough, eventually they started pulling people aside. They had empty rooms to to some people to rent to. And maybe you, you're a single woman, a single man. You would like to rent and be in a cheap room and live in our house. And they started pulling people aside and um had a talk with the guy. He was perfectly understanding. He said, I understand. It's hard to believe that I'm Christ in the flesh. I understand that. And I, I hear that you don't want me telling people that. And we'll go our way. And last I heard, he was in Kansas. Probably doing it again. But I was, but God answered our prayer and brought a cult to our church. But our responsibility as elders was to sniff that out and not just say, praise the Lord, we're so glad you're here. Thank you. You've got to be sensitive and interact with folks and ask them questions like, do you think you're Jesus? You've got to ask questions. <laughs> so the church is called to govern and guard and protect the flock as individuals. First Timothy 5, 2 says... I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God. Acts 20, 28 says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. God has called us to be all be shepherds in different situations that we're in, but he's placed a special responsibility on elders to be teaching and governing. Now, some of that's easy. It's frankly a no-brainer to confront racists in the church who are spreading their toxic, evil, unbiblical doctrine in the church. That's not uh, that hard. You don't even have to be nice in that situation. We were nice, but you don't have to be because that's just wrong. And it, again, talking with someone who uh, thinks they're Jesus 
This is not difficult. It's not. It's, a, it's kind of a no-brainer to know that you got to work that stuff out and talk to folks. But there's some stuff that's hard to talk about. And we're going to talk about that hard stuff this morning. There's an area of shepherding, of teaching, and protecting that's not easy to talk about in private or in public. The world has changed over the last 40 years. And we can talk about the different ways the world has changed with information technology and being able just to fly all over the country for, you know, $150 round trip. My wife can get back and forth to Powhatan. That's amazing. But the thing, one of the things that changed over the last 40 years is there are now multiplied men and women walking among us who are looking for vulnerable people. They're looking for vulnerable people. And when they smell them out, they start to go after them. Maybe they give them gifts. Maybe they give them attention. Maybe they go after people who don't have a dad at home or whose dad works a lot. But they go after people and they view primarily children, but it can be any vulnerable person. They view them as an object to give them pleasure and satisfaction. Even if it hurts the child, even if the child doesn't want it, they come after them. And often the church isn't vigilant. I can't walk down the hall of this school without seeing posters telling adults and children to be on the lookout, be aware, be vigilant about this matter. I can't go to the library and without seeing posters about it. I can't drive down the highway without seeing posters about it. So the time has come when the church can't say, you know, that was a long time ago. We didn't think about those things the way we did. And uh, we didn't understand that it was a problem. You do understand. I do understand. It is a problem. We had two folks in our church who came to Spring with bad intentions. One of them was an elder who hid it from us. It's bad. It's out there. 45 minutes to our north, a worship director was producing inappropriate materials about children. In other churches, it's a little more sly. There's manipulation. There's, uh, there's, there's spiritual abuse of authority that is focused on those in charge getting something, whatever their drug of choice is, from the people in the congregation. Anybody they perceive of as vulnerable. It can be men, women, women, men, men to men, it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's more subtle. But it happens not just in the Catholic Church, not just in those bad churches out there that aren't on the lookout. We were on the lookout. And they were there in our church. And we found them, we believe, before anything bad happened. We can no longer say that elders aren't responsible for keeping their eyes open to that kind of problem. 
we are. The scale of abuse that's happening in our society can't be underestimated. There are 60 million people that are currently being victimized in our nation. 45 ever out of every 1,000 children. 45 out of every 1,000 children is a figure that I think is very conservative that are currently being abused by someone. And it exists in Christian communities like ours. Pastor, are you saying something's going on here at, at Evergreen? Are you about to tell? No, I'm not. There's not. I don't know of anything that's going on here. That's not why I'm talking about this. But I'm talking about this so we don't ever have to have a sermon where at a certain point I say, and now I have to tell you something. So elders, not only Lester, not only Anthony, but all the elders here today, Jesus said in Mark 9, 24, to let the little ones come to him and not turn them away. And that causing them to stumble places us in a place of judgment. Well, pastor, I'm not sure. Maybe that doesn't apply to abuse. Well, I'm not willing to take that chance. Because I'm not up for millstone swimming lessons. Okay? Ephesians 5, 3 says, But sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. That means that we've got to keep an eye open to this type of problem. Because we want our church to be a place where sexual immorality isn't rampant. Well, isn't that just talking about adultery and things like that? No. No, the term is porneia there. That, that's the underlying term there. If you go back to Leviticus 19, you can see that, that refers to a variety of, of sins and naughtiness. Psalm 82, give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. I was never abused sexually as I was growing up. But my daddy beat me. And I wish somebody would have figured that out and talked about that. Maybe talk to him. Maybe talk to me about ways to help with that situation. Because that was hard. That was hard to go through. A lot of people had it a lot harder. So I'm not one up in anybody. But part of obeying the Scriptures is to rescue the weak and the needy, which means that we care for victims. We listen to them. We don't demean them. We don't say, well, they could just be making it up. I swear, if that's your first response to somebody who brings something up like this to you, the rod is coming out, verbally speaking, of course. That's not how you deal with people who are bearing their heart and sharing their soul and telling you of their deepest wound. I want to say one more hard thing before we leave this, and we're going to kind of edge away from this topic now. If you're someone here who's got naughtiness on your mind, 
If you're someone here who has thoughts of taking advantage of children and other vulnerable people, I'm watching. I love you. I'm not going around mistrusting everybody and treating everyone like potential predators. But I'm watching. And so is every elder. And we're going to be careful. We're going to stay a family, friendly, loving, kind, trusting church. But we're not going to be fools. And the first time we see something, I'm calling 911. And I'm going to report it to the authorities. There won't be any of these meetings where you come and apologize and say you're sorry. The first thing I'm doing is calling Child Protective Services. And then we can have meetings and talk about how sorry you are. And then we'll pursue ecclesiastical courts as well as criminal charges. That's the way it works. Because I'm a mandatory reporter. It's not because I'm mean. It's not because I'm being snarky about this and not being a pastor of grace. I'm a mandatory reporter in this state. So I have to do that. You'll hear more in the coming months about what the session of Evergreen will be doing to put the teaching of Scripture that I've put before us pretty plainly this week into action. And I believe our men will have a balanced, common sense approach to this that reflects the reality of the world that we live in, yet continues to sustain the gracious, friendly church that we have, but with the mind that we're going to be growing. And that as we grow, the likelihood, the chance, and the opportunity for folks to come in that, that, that we don't know, it's just going to, it's not a chance. It's a 100% probability. We better be having people come to this church whom we don't know, or else somebody ain't doing their job right. So this week, the Session of Evergreen agreed to the following statement. The Session of Evergreen Community Church is committed to developing policies that protect the vulnerable among us and ensure that we don't view one another as potential victims or victimizers, but as brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers in the Lord. Through careful vetting of those who work with children, through informative membership classes, it's our intent to keep this loving, friendly church the same, even though we grow. We'll do that by talking about this topic as a part of leadership training classes, and we'll address this with every group of new members, and we'll make adjustments to how we vet volunteers at our events. That's the direction we're going. I don't think that's an overreaction. I don't think that's an underreaction. I think that's wisdom. And so please be praying for your elders as we move forward. We'll be using some very helpful research that's been uh, done by West End Presbyterian Church. They're already in their second generation of this work. They've already had one time where they've carefully studied this matter in the, in the history of their church, and times have changed so much, they have found the need to go back again and look at those policies, those procedures, those rules, in order to maintain safety as well as trust and friendliness and graciousness, graciousness in the congregation. 
I want to finish up by looking at a story from the Bible, from Jeremiah. I'm in Jeremiah 23. If you want to turn in your scriptures to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah was a master of the parable. He would take just a little parable and would work that parable and that story into something both frightening and something beautiful. And he does it right here. We're going to focus on the good news, but I want you to hear the bad news as he works it out. He says, Jeremiah 23, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and you've driven them away and you have not attended them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then... You hear the then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries that I've driven them and I will bring them back to their fold and they will be fruitful and multiply and I will set shepherds over them who care for them and they will fear no more. They being the flock nor be dismayed. Neither shall they be any missing declares the Lord. So Jeremiah looks at the spiritual leaders of his day and he pronounces judgment upon them. Just as God believed God would do, as in general, he looks at the spiritual leaders in the world today. It's not great news out there, folks. You're blessed. You've got great elders here. But there are even PCA churches that are struggling with using a modern word, toxic elders and things of that nature that make leading and ruling and teaching and making decisions very difficult. You're blessed. Jeremiah has an eye for today as he says that. But that's not the point I have here. The application point is in the second part. Because Jeremiah looks to a day, a day that I believe is the new covenant. He looks to that day where God will bless the church in three ways. Number one, gather the remnant. He says that the church will be scattered, but then will experience renewal. I will gather you back out of all the countries, bring them in the fold, and they will be fruitful and multiply. Hmm, Interesting language there that immediately transports us back to the Garden of Eden, where now you have these shepherds taking on the role of the second Adam, and they are creating uh, churches Little pockets of God's kingdom where the shepherds, where the sheep can roam freely and they're jumping and they're kicking and they're having a good time. It's spring and they're excited and they're eating the fresh grass. It's just a beautiful place for God's people in God's church to grow and make families and be fruitful and multiply. That's the, the, the work of the shepherd that he sees them doing. I see connections to the Great Commission language from this as well, as it's accomplished and the remnant is gathered in. Jesus said that no one can take any of my sheep out of my hand. And God is keeping that promise today, not only in some general way, but specifically with Anthony and Lester, as they've gone through times of trial They've gone through times of difficulty and rather than curse God, they have blessed him and they have moved forward and God has kept 
them. And they now stand even more qualified to serve, having gone through trials. Number two, he sets shepherds over them who will care. Keyword will care for the flock. One of the promises of this new covenant shepherd is that the elders won't be like the up and down judges uh, that we read about in the book of Judges. It won't be like the up and down kings that we read about in First Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. It won't be like that. The shepherds of the new covenant will be characterized by having a relationship with the good shepherd and being filled with the Holy Spirit, that their hearts will be different and they'll care about the flock and the flock won't live in fear, but they'll be interacting with the shepherds in a in a joyful way. And they'll see the good shepherd manifested as they see his sub shepherds working with special care for covenant children. Finally, this word this morning from Jeremiah 23, it is declared by the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, declared by the Lord. The fact that this is coming forth, inspired, coming from the very lips of God, as it were, is emphasized in the passage three times. It's God declaring it and it's settled. There are no exceptions to this. This is how God sees his church working. And so every elder and every leader looks to Christ to be their shepherd, not to the future somehow that one day he'll be that shepherd, but then now, today, he's already done it. He's already laid down his life for the sheep. He's already brought you near to the Father. And it's his spirit that keeps us there, that holds us there. And no one can take that away. The great shepherd of our souls has begun a good work and he's been faithful to complete it in you and he's being faithful to complete it in Anthony and in Lester. And we give him praise for that. So it's hard. This is a difficult thing, being an elder. And some parts of the job are joyful and some parts are difficult. And as the cultural changes have come upon us, and in some ways, the evangelical church has failed to respond to those cultural changes. Maybe we've got some catch-up to do. But Christ doesn't change. And the answers that he gives us in his word are just as relevant as they were yesterday, today, and forever. His good news of forgiveness and healing flowing forth from the gospel is the same. And I look forward to seeing that good news flow forth, flow forth from your lives into mine and into this community. Let us pray. We're looking at right now a, a topic that is so imminent today, Father, that it that, that, that it could be sitting next to us. It's that close. Our children, the vulnerable people among us. And yet, believers are looking to eternity. Believers are looking into the future because more than anything, more than avoiding suffering or catching the bad guy, 
We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to see that day when you break through the clouds and we hear the trumpet and all of your elect are gathered together. And from that number, praise you, they'll be victims and victimizers. They'll be people who we thought were the scum of the earth that rise from their graves. And we can't believe they're there. And there'll be others who aren't there. And it's this great mystery of this great day of judgment and this great day of victory that really calls us forward. That we want to be a part of alerting God's people, of calling the elect to repentance and seeing the whole mission of God move forward. We want to see pockets of your kingdom forming now where when people come into this church, into our homes, into our business, they can taste and smell and hear and sense that the kingdom has come. Oh, but we look forward to that day. We look forward to that day of consummation. But make us a place here at Evergreen that people can taste can smell what you're cooking in eternity at that great table that you'll set before your whole church on that one one day when we're dining together with Christ. It's to that future that we look. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you